Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. This morning, and it's good to actually see people out there as opposed to talking into simply a camera. I'm so glad that you have chosen to be with us this morning on this wonderful Lord's Day. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And kids, you've got to stay in here today since there's no children's church, so you'll learn to be able to do that. When I was a kid, there was no such thing as children's church. You had to sit through the whole thing. So, Acts chapter 2. When I was in sixth grade, our boys' Sunday school class went on a camping trip. And you know what happens when you have sixth grade boys around a campfire, eating s'mores, having fun. And after the adults went to bed... There was an older kid who will remain nameless in case he's watching this Facebook. He knows who he is out there. He doused the fire with lighter fluid, and the fire flew probably about 50 or 60 feet up in the air. And we were in the piney woods of Texas. I thought the whole place was going to catch on fire. But it was an amazing sight for middle school boys to see fire. I don't care what age of boy you are, you like fire. You like looking at fire. There's a fascination with fire. I mean, it went, whoo, I mean, it went about 50 to 60 feet up in the air. It was something to behold, the fascination of fire. Now, every summer, we also have to worry about tornadoes here in Sterling. Not probably as much as in Oklahoma, but tornadoes are, are, are a threat here. Now, I've never actually been in a tornado. I've seen one from a distance. When I was growing up in Texas, we saw a funnel cloud come down, but it never came and we were in it. But I have relatives that have been in tornadoes, especially down in Missouri and Oklahoma, and they tell me that it sounds like a freight train. It's the loudest sound they've ever heard to be in a tornado. So there's the fascination of fire, and there's the fright of a tornado. How many of you have ever been around other people that were speaking a different language than you and you felt clueless and didn't understand what they were talking about? Every time we go on our mission trip to those tribal areas and they start talking in different languages, I can kind of catch a few words here and there, but for the most part, I feel a little clueless. You know, in America, we're not bilingual. Like most places in Asia and Europe, they have to learn different languages. Oftentimes, we're just clueless when people are speaking different languages. We feel like we don't understand what's going on. So why do I bring up the fascination of fire, the fright of a tornado, and the frustration of the language gap. You may say, what do these three things have in common? Well, these phenomenon showed up on that first Pentecost Sunday in Acts chapter 2. Now, today is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter. It's the first day we're regathering as a church family, and so I thought it would be fitting to not only celebrate Pentecost Sunday, but actually look and see what the early church experienced on that first Pentecost. There were 120 Christians gathered 
in that one place. And they experienced three things. Sound, sight, speech. Sound, sight, and speech. Sound, what did they hear? They heard a mighty rushing wind that sounded like a tornado. What did they see? Tongues of fire coming down on each person's head. What did they hear? People speaking in different languages. So how do we explain these things? And more importantly, what's the significance of us gathering back together for the very first time on Pentecost? So let's look at Acts chapter 2. And it would probably be helpful if I turned to Acts chapter 2 and not Ephesians chapter 2. I could preach that, but that's not what's in my notes. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking, saying they are filled with new wine. Pentecost. So as we look at the events in Pentecost, I'm just going to ask us a question as a church family. Here's the question. What do we need? Not what do we want. What do we need in order to be the church God has called us to be. What do we need? There's a lot of things that we can be focusing on as we regather, and it's important. I mean, it was neat to see the fellowship this morning and to, and to see your faces, and, and there's a lot of things that we need to be focusing on as a church, but as we, as we come back together, we notice that the role of the Holy Spirit is vitally important to our, our life together as a church. And last week, if you watched the live stream in Ephesians 4, we talked about the importance of unity, unity as the body of Christ. And I want you to notice what these early Christians are doing. Look at the very first verse of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. For the past eight weeks, we've not been all together in one place. We've been scattered in our homes watching on live stream. Today's the first day we're all gathered together in one place. If you look at the Bible, God tends to do amazing things when his people are all gathered together in one place. All the way back to Exodus, God gathered the nation of Israel together in one place at Mount Sinai to receive the reading of the law. 
in Nehemiah, after the wall was built, the entire nation gathered together in one place at the water gate for this amazing worship service where God brought revival. Jesus, when he called his disciples together in one place at the mountain, he gave them the great commission. And here on this Pentecost Sunday, they're all gathered in one place together, and the Holy Spirit interrupts their prayer meeting with some amazing things. So, there's three things that they experience, three phenomena. So what I want to do is I want to look at these three things and then ask the question, what do we need as a church family? And then I want to tie this into how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament. So um, the, the first thing we see here is the sound. What do they hear? Okay. Verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. That word sound in the original language, the Greek language, is where we get the word echo. It reverberated, almost like a freight train. It was a huge, amazing sound that came into the house. Now, ask yourself the question, what's the significance of wind? Why did God bring wind, a mighty rushing wind? What's the significance of wind? Well, the significance of wind is that all throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is often equated with the wind. You trace the Bible and you see that the Holy Spirit oftentimes comes like the wind. Jesus, when he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. So the wind comes on this day. So what does the wind represent? Well, obviously it represents the Holy Spirit, but what does the wind of the Holy Spirit represent? What it represents is God's power. God's power. So here's the first thing that we need as a church family. We need the power of God. We need power. Jesus promised these disciples that very thing. Back in Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 49. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then here's verse 49. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Wait till you're clothed with power from on high. And that's what they're doing. They're waiting until they're clothed with power. What did Acts 1.8 say? Just go back one chapter. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Power. The power of God came upon them. Ephesians 1, 19-20. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The power of the resurrection. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You see, as Christians, 
we need the power of God. We need the power of God to live the Christian life. We need the power of God to endure trials. We need the power of God to be able to love one another. We need the power of God to be able to testify about Jesus. We need power. And so what we need as a church right now is not great marketing. We don't need a great charismatic staff, good-looking and all that, although you have a really good-looking staff, so look around and you can see them. What we need as a church is basically just the power of God, the power of God in our midst. A few years ago, some Chinese pastors came to America, and they traveled around, and they looked at a bunch of mega churches and different sized churches, and, and, and they, they were being hosted by these American pastors. And at the end of the tour, these American pastors were all proud, and they were showing them all their mega churches, and they asked these Chinese pastors, what, what do you think? What do you think of America? Aren't you impressed with our churches, the size of our churches? What do you think? And the Chinese pastors were very silent for a moment and very sober. And, and they waited, and they gave this thoughtful response. They said to these American pastors, it's amazing what you, an American, can do without the power of God. It's amazing what you can do in America without the power of God. Of God. You know, there's a lot of things we can do in our own flesh. There's a lot of things that we can do in our own power. But it's not going to mean anything in the grand scheme of things. It's not, and, and these things may actually bring results. But if we're going to go forward as a church, what I want to see happen is things happening that can only be explained by God. When you look back at them, you say, the only way that could have happened is because the hand of God was on our church. The hand of God was on that person's life. The power of God showed up. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You can trust in yourself and be a waterless, dry wasteland, or you can trust in the power of God and be fruitful like a tree planted next to the water. So the first thing that happened was a mighty rushing wind comes in representing the power of the Holy Spirit. So what do we need? We need power. Individually in our lives to live the Christian life, but we need power as a church family. Okay, what's the second phenomenon they experienced? Well, sight. What did they see? Something kind of freaky. These tongues of fire coming down and landing on each person's head individually. Tongues of fire. Now, you may ask the question, okay, we've seen wind, earth, wind, and fire. Um, we've seen fire, or we've seen wind. Why now fire? We, wind represents the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, why fire? Well, what does fire represent in the Bible? Well, oftentimes, fire represents judgment or purification. Luke 3.16 
John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, the tongues of fire here does not mean that God's coming in judgment. It means he's coming in purification and in guidance. Think about the Old Testament. How did God guide or lead the people? How did he appear to Moses? Out of a fiery, burning bush. How did he lead the nation of Israel? With a pillar of fire. And it's interesting that these, look at verse 3, divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Rested on each of them, literally sat on each of them. It wasn't just this huge fire burning in their midst, but actually divided, and it rested upon each of them, which signifies that the Holy Spirit's coming and doing an individual work on each person. Now, there's a corporate nature to it, but there's an individual nature to it as well, that, that the Holy Spirit's doing an individual work. So what is this fire? Hey, what's the first thing we need as a church? We need power. What's the second thing we need as a church? We need purity. We need purity, purification. We need the Holy Spirit to come burn, if you will, the sin out of our lives so that we would walk in holiness as his people. Do you remember Isaiah the prophet? Isaiah was in the throne room of God in the temple. And what does he see? He sees the Lord high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory and, and those flying creatures came. And, and what, does I, what does Isaiah do? Isaiah stands up and gives God a high five and says, hey, buddy, you're an awesome guy. Now, what does Isaiah do? He falls on his face and says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And what happened after he fell on the ground and said, I'm a man of unclean lips? Let's, let's look. Isaiah 6, 6 through 8. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt's taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. How did God purify Isaiah? With fire. With a fiery coal on his mouth. So, it's this Holy Spirit's purification of us to be the church God's called us to be. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we need as a church and as individuals is power but we also need purity. The Holy Spirit to come and purify us, to do a work in us so that we're holy, so that we're walking in the way that God's called us to walk. So we need power, we need purity. Okay, what's the third thing they see? What's the third phenomenon? Speech. Sound, a mighty rushing wind. Sight, divided tongues of fire. Speech. They start talking in different languages. Now, what in, this, what in the world is the speaking in tongues business? Okay. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's a, it's a huge topic. Let me just tell you what I don't, what I don't think it is, okay? what, I, what I believe it's not, and then I'll explain to you what I think it is because there's a lot of confusion. I don't necessarily think Acts 2 
is the same phenomenon we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 when Paul is addressing the church in Corinth. I think, based upon the context of Acts chapter 2, and I will show that to you here in just a moment, I think Paul here is addressing known languages on the earth. Known languages on the earth. And I want to show that to you because not only contextually does it make sense, but grammatically in the Greek text it makes sense. Okay, so this is not the speaking in tongues that we would see in, the, in like Corinth. This is known languages. Okay, so how, how do we get that? Okay, look at verse 5. There are people, devout Jewish people, and where are they from? They're from every nation under heaven. They're, they're from all over the known world at that time. And then in verses 9 through 11, Paul actually, or, or Luke, the, the, the writer here, actually lists out where those different nations are from. So contextually, you almost have like a mini United Nations going on here. you got people from all over the known world gathered in one place, and they're all speaking different languages from where they come from. Okay? Now in verse 6, At this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Okay, the word language there in verse 6 in the Greek, I'll give you the Greek because you'll understand it in the English. The Greek word is dialectos. Dialect. They were speaking in their own dialect. In verse 8, you see that word again. How is it that we each hear in his own native dialect, in his own native language? So I believe this is the known languages of those nations coming together. It's not necessarily babbling or some type of ecstatic utterance. As a matter of fact, in verse 4, the word for utterance, the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, that means they were speaking plainly. They were speaking openly. They were speaking with boldness. Now, at this point, you may say, well, that's interesting. Why is everybody perplexed? Why is everybody astonished? Well, look at verse 7. Why is everybody astonished? Verse 7, they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these Galileans speaking? Galileans. What's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about a Galilean? In that culture, a Galilean, and I'm going to put this in the best positive light I can, a Galilean was basically like an uneducated backwoods hillbilly, okay? Spoke slang, spoke a southern drawl. Basically, these were uneducated kind of hillbillyish type of men that wouldn't have known how to speak foreign languages. It's almost as if God downloaded Rosetta Stone into their brains and they began to automatically speak the languages of these other nations. And the people were hearing it in their own native tongue. Maybe they had the app Duolingo or the app Babel. Not that they did that, but God did some type of supernatural work here hearing these foreign languages. Now, what are they saying? What are they saying? That's the most important thing. Not just that they were hearing each other in their own languages, but what was being said? What was the speech? Was it just kind of babbling? Was it an ecstatic utterance? What exactly were they saying? Well, we don't have to guess. Look at verse 11. What were they saying in verse 11? Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them. Okay, what, what do we hear them? Telling in our own tongues what? The mighty works of God. The mighty works of God. So what are they communicating? The mighty works of God. Now, Luke just leaves it at that. 
We don't know exactly what all that means, but we could probably guess that it's talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the mighty works of God through Christ. So what do we need as a church? Power, purity, but here's the third thing. We need preaching. And that doesn't necessarily just mean me standing up here at a pulpit. Yes, we need to come, and I'm thankful you showed up today. We all need to come, and we need to be able to hear preaching. But what did the Holy Spirit empower them to do? The Holy Spirit came upon them with power so that they could tell the mighty works of God. It's for witness. It's for evangelism. It's for mission. It's for you and me to tell others about Jesus, to be bold in our proclamation. So as a church, we need power, the power of God, individually and as a, as a church family. We need purity. We need to walk in holiness. We need to walk in righteousness. We need to walk in repentance, be the people God's called us to be. And then we need preaching, not only from this pulpit, but, but you... When you leave this place, you need to go tell others the mighty works of God. Tell people about Jesus. Now, you may be asking the question, okay, Sean, you talked about the phenomenon. You talked about the mighty rushing wind. You talked about the tongues of fire. You talked about the different languages, but you still haven't really answered my question. Why on Pentecost of all days? Why couldn't have God done this on any other day? Why on Pentecost? Well, let me give you some Old Testament foreshadowings that show us the significance of why this happened on Pentecost in particular. Okay? So here's the first. Pentecost in the Old Testament was a worship service where the people gathered in expectation to meet God. Pentecost in the Old Testament was a worship service where the people gathered in expectation to meet God. It was what they call a holy assembly of God's people. What were they to do in the Old Testament? They were to gather 50 days. That's where the word penta, five. 50 days after Passover, they were to gather. And what were they to do when they gathered 50 days after Passover? Well, one of the things they had to do was they had to purify themselves. They had to prepare themselves to come and meet God on that day. You find this out in Numbers chapter 28, 26. On the day of the first fruits, that's Pentecost, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord at your feast of weeks, that's Pentecost, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall have a holy convocation. You shall meet together as a people in one place for a worship service to meet with the Lord. That's what a holy convocation was. So in the Old Testament, they were to meet together for a holy convocation, to be a holy people. Let me ask you a question. What's the church? What are we doing here this morning? We're gathering together as one people for a worship service to meet with God. This is a holy convocation. And what do we need when we come here? Well, I hope when we come here, we receive power. 
I hope when we come here, we get purified. I hope when we come here, we hear preaching to be able to go out to the world and live in that power, live in that purity, and be able to preach to others. We are the church. Peter says, 1 Peter 2.9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So when the Holy Spirit comes on the first Pentecost there at Acts, the Holy Spirit's filling each of those individuals as they're together in one place for a holy convocation, ready to meet the Lord, and the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, fills them and empowers them to be the people of God. Now, Pentecost was an unrepeatable event. It's not going to be repeated. It was, it was a one-time thing that happened in, in, the, in the history of the church. But, but, Every time we meet together as God's people, we should expect to meet God. We should expect God's power. We should expect to be purified. We should expect to hear preaching. We should expect to, to experience God in a powerful way. Now, it's not going to be this amazing worship service every time we gather, but every time we gather together as God's people, he's calling us together to be his people, and God's saying, I want you to gather. I want you to be together because when you're together, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to encourage you. Let me just ask you a question. This is a dumb, duh. Would you rather be sitting in your living room watching me on a screen or would you rather be here with your brothers and sisters in Christ experiencing the joy of the Lord together? Okay. That's what God has called us to be is he's called us to be together as his people, the church. And so on that very first Pentecost, they were gathered together to meet God, and God met them. Every time we meet together, we should expect to meet with God. But let me ask you another question. Languages. What other event in the Old Testament involved a bunch of people gathered together with languages? Anybody remember? The Tower of Babel. Some of you are like, I got it, the Tower of Babel. Trivia question, answered. So what's the second thing you see at Pentecost? At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit reversed God's confusion poured out at the Tower of Babel. There was confusion at the Tower of Babel. Why? All the nations gathered what? In one place. They gathered in one place. The plain of Shinar. Babel. Later to become Babylon. And what did they do there at the plain of Shinar? They said, let's make a name for ourselves and build a tower to the Lord. Genesis 11, 1 through 4. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. Everybody spoke the same language. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another in that same language, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said in that same language, all the same language, Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. What was their fear? We like to gather. We like our one language. We want to create a monument to ourselves. So if we just gather here together and build a tower, we can just hang out here and not be dispersed. We'll make a name for ourselves. We'll build a city here. We'll congregate here as one people, one language, and we'll make a name for ourselves. And what does God do? 
God looks down at that puny little tower and says, here's what I'm going to do to you people that have one language and you're gathered in one place and you're making a name for yourself. Keep reading. Genesis 11, 7 through 9. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. One language, one people gathered in one place. And what did God do? God says, you're not going to gather in one place. You're no longer going to speak one language. I'm going to have you speak all different types of languages and I'm scattering you. And that was an act of judgment because they were making an, an, an idol. They were making a tower to themselves. So God scatters them in judgment. Okay. What's happening here at Pentecost? A bunch of different nations, a bunch of different languages coming together in one place. The Holy Spirit comes and descends upon them. And what happens? They begin to hear each other in the same language. And does God keep them there? No, God scatters them. But God doesn't scatter them in judgment. God scatters them in mission. says, okay, you've been empowered. You've been purified. You've heard the mighty works of the Lord. Now it's time to go back out to your home and share the gospel. You've been purified. You've been empowered. Now go preach. You've received power. You've received purity. Now go back home and preach is basically what is happening at Pentecost. But you still haven't told me, Pastor Sean, what Pentecost is. You told me it's a, it's a solemn assembly 50 days after Passover. You've told me it's a reversal of the Tower of Babel, but what was Pentecost anyway? What were they celebrating besides just gathering on any other day? Well, here's the third thing. Pentecost is the harvest of the first fruits of God's church. Why did God do it on this day? If he could have done it on any other day, why on Pentecost? Why on this one Sunday? Why 50 days after Passover? Well, if you go back in your Old Testament and you read Exodus 34, 22, and Leviticus 23, 16, and Deuteronomy 16, 10, you find out that 50 days after Passover, they were to celebrate the barley harvest by actually reaping the grain. It was an ingathering. It was harvest time. You guys know what harvest is down here in the summertime. It was a joyous festival to go start the harvest to remember God's faithfulness. It was called the Feast of Weeks. And they would bring their first fruits as a harvest to the Lord. So symbolically, what's the Holy Spirit doing here at Pentecost? He's bringing in the harvest. He's bringing in the first fruits. Who are the first fruits? Those 120 believers, they were the first fruits of God's new people. Okay, then what happened? Peter stands up, if you keep reading Acts, Peter stands up and preaches a sermon, and what happens? 3,000 people get saved. Okay, there's a bigger harvest there. The first fruits are those 120, then there's 3,000, and later on in Acts, there's what? There's 5,000, and why are you here today? Because somebody back sometime told you about Jesus, and you're part of the harvest because it all started back in Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and birthed the harvest. And the harvest is still happening every time somebody becomes a Christian 2,000 years later. That small band of believers 
was the first fruits of the harvest. We today are the continuation of the harvest, but it also means the fields are widened to harvest and there's more and more people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us today as we regather as Emmanuel Baptists? What does it mean? Well, it gives us the promise that the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of each of us personally. But the Holy Spirit has come not only in those days to give them power, but the Holy Spirit's come to give you power. We need power. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you feel weak? How many of you feel discouraged? How many of you just need to know that God alone is the source of your power? What's what we need? individually and as a church is power. But we also need purity. We need purity. We need to be more like Jesus. You know, what was the attitude of the people at the Tower of Babel? Let's make a name for ourselves. It wasn't a motive of purity. It was a motive of pride. We need to not walk in pride, but walk in purity and be the type of people God's called us to be. And you can have joy this morning because you're part of that harvest. But yet, here's the issue. We don't just receive power for ourselves. Hey, I got power. We don't just receive purity for ourselves. We don't just come here to hear good preaching for ourselves. What was the main purpose of Pentecost? It was to receive power, purity, so that they could go preach. It was the first fruits of the harvest, but the harvest is still going. Jesus says the fields are wide unto harvest but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to thrust out workers into the harvest field. So what's the end vision that started at Pentecost? Okay, what what happened at Pentecost? All the nations were gathered in one place and the Holy Spirit showed up in power. And then they were dispersed and went back to their homes. Sometimes we go on mission trips. Sometimes we go across the country. Sometimes we go across the world. What's the envision of Pentecost? Do you realize there's going to be an envision of Pentecost in Revelation chapter 5, 9 through 10? They sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Where? From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now we long for that day when the entire group of God's people are gathered from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people are gathered on that final day before Jesus. That's the envision. Is, is all of us before the throne of God, every tribe, tongue, language, people, all the different languages, all the different people groups gathered together as God's people on that final day worshiping Jesus. But until that day, We as a church and we as a people, we need to plead for power. We need to plead for the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pursue purity in the Holy Spirit. And we must preach the gospel to the nations in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what do we need as a church? What do you need? I know this is what I need. We need power. We need purity, and we need preaching. For the glory of God, for the good of his church, and ultimately for the salvation of the nations.
Why do we do what we do as a church? Is it so we can hoard it to ourselves? Or is it so we can share the greatest news anybody could ever hear to nations in darkness, people in darkness, people that are hopeless, that have the hope that we have? And only by God's power are you going to be able to do that. And only by God's purity are you going to be able to do that. And only by God's grace are you going to be able to do what God's called us to do. So we need power. We need purity. We need preaching. So Manuel Baptist Church, let's pray for those things. So let me ask you to bow your heads. And let's pray. Together as a body, you individually, you as a family, let's just pray for these three things. This is what we need. This is what God supplied. Let's just pray for those. We're so thankful that you have brought us together this morning as your people. It's a joy to be back together. It's a joy to see faces when I preach. It's a joy to sing. But Lord, help us to remember that in the midst of of regathering and being back together, to, to have the big picture in mind, Lord the big picture of what you started on Pentecost, and that is that we need the power of God. Lord, we plead for that. We, we don't want to operate in our own flesh. We don't want to do things in our own power. We don't want to be self-reliant. We want to rely upon the power of God. So, Lord, if there's anybody here today that's weak, if there's anybody here today that's struggling, if there's anybody here today that just needs to know that they can have the power of God, they can plead for the power of God, would you just meet them where they are today, Lord? Give them an extra measure of your power. Lord, we also need your purity. Lord, we need to walk in holiness. We need to walk in righteousness. We need to be purified by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, if there's anybody here that's walking in sin, habitual sin, they're they're not repenting, Holy Spirit, would you confront them this morning and, and give them the grace to be able to walk in holiness because you've purified them? Lord, we need preaching not just to hear it from this pulpit, but Lord, we need to do it ourselves as we leave this place. We need to share the gospel with a world that needs to hear it. We need to be witnesses of the mighty works of God. So Lord, as we leave this place, help us on our mouths to be talking about the mighty works of God. Lord, what what greater thing to talk about than your mighty works? Lord, we are living in a dark time in our nation. Lord, cities are burning. There is rioting in major cities. There's a coronavirus that's in our world. Our nation's never been more divided. And Lord, the answer is not going to come from the government. The answer is not going to come from the schools. The answer is not going to come from medicine. Lord, the answers are not going to come from those places. Those places are good, but Lord, ultimately, the healing that needs to happen is going to come from your power and your purity and your preaching. So Lord, let us be a voice of hope, a voice of love, a voice of peace, a voice of reconciliation to a world that needs to hear it. Lord, we can't expect the world to get their act together if we're not walking in your power, if we're not walking in your purity, if we're not preaching the gospel. So, Lord, empower us to be the people you've called us to be. Lord, we want to be a faithful people, but, Lord, we just plead for our nation. Would you bring healing? We pray for physical healing for the coronavirus, but, Lord, we pray for racial and emotional and and societal healing to come. 
And Lord, only the gospel is going to do that. So Lord, let the churches, let the Christians across our country be the voices that rise up and say there's a better way. There's a God on his throne. There's a King Jesus who's died for your sins. Will we all turn and trust in the one who can answer all of these problems with the grace of God, and that's King Jesus. Lord, we need your power. We need your purity. We need your preaching. May we be the church you've called us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen and amen.